This is AgriFutures On Air, brought to you by AgriFutures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture. particularly the science that emanates from satellites circling us in space, is now commonplace on farms. Think GPS guidance, auto steer, satellite imagery, and even weather forecasts. So it's a safe assumption that space-based farming will become more common, more available. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. AgriFutures Australia has launched a new report on the current and future opportunities for rural industries from space-based technologies. And today I'm joined by three people who are going to inspire us all by predicting the future shape of farming as seen from space, not to put too much pressure on them. Martin Amity is from the Centre for Entrepreneurial Agri-Technology at the Australian National University and is one of eight authors of the AgriFutures report I mentioned. Tom Rayner is from Miriota, a company that facilitates satellite communications, and Phil Tickle, who is the Managing Director of SIBO Labs, an agricultural data analytics company. Now, Phil and Tom, I'll come to you in a moment for you to explain more precisely what you do and how you see satellite technology increasing its role in agriculture. But Marty, I want to start with that idea that a scientist may be just as important to a future farming operation as an agronomist is now, because one of the points made in the report is that there needs to be multiple ongoing conversations between rural industry and space technology companies. What do you think? Yeah, so I guess from our perspective, Chris, one of the things that was really interesting when we were having that conversation is that for the most part in the, over the last few decades, and that's recently changed, which is I think why AgriFutures have moved and seen the opportunity to, to bring this report together. But in the past, satellite technology has really been the domain of, of governments. So these are large multi, when I say multi-million, we're talking hundreds of million dollars to billion dollar programs that can take anywhere from five to 10 to 20 years to get up and running from ideation at the start all the way through to launch and, and deployment. And the really interesting thing that's happened over the last five to 10 years with the decrease in launch costs, a decrease in the cost of the technologies and what's been available, the rise of IoT, so Internet of Things technology as well. We're now in a situation where the costs have been reduced quite significantly and rather than agriculture, basically doing the best that it can with data that's coming down that was put up in space or technologies and platforms that were put in space for other purposes like defence or environmental monitoring or other applications. The sector is now in a position where it can go directly to the private sector as that's continued to grow in the space area and have a conversation around fit for purpose technologies that meet their specific needs. So it's really exciting because you've got companies like Miriota and others who are now actually able to talk directly to the sector and provide solutions that really meet those needs rather than being a position where the sector has to make do, and they've done very well making do, but they're making do with technologies that really built for other purposes and having to adapt them to suit their needs. Yeah, it's a, a fascinating area and it's so wide. There's so much here that we could talk about, but what were some of the main conclusions or findings in the report? Well, I think one of the, the primary ones, and as you've I've got two companies on at the moment, with SIBO and with Marietta as well, that there's already a range of companies out there doing this and there's technologies that are available. One of the things that came up repeatedly with conversations with producers and others is that 
at the moment, there is a lack of information around return on investment and a lot of producers as well, as with most technologies on farm, we're kind of used to an environment where we see farm demonstrations and field trials and that kind of drives adoption and then word of mouth through producer networks and that's really important. So being able to tap into those existing networks and get those ag tech companies and space tech companies engage with those networks through farming systems groups, state departments, having field trials and those kind of things is really important to driving adoption of those technologies that are already fit for purpose and ready to go. There's also a great opportunity, as I just said, for those companies now to engage with the industry and look at these are the challenges that we're facing. These are some existing technologies that are being applied in other industries and how do we adapt those to the sector. Connectivity is always an issue for, for the rural sector, given that we've usually when we're dealing with the 4G and, and mobile networks that don't extend out to the regional areas because we don't have that density of population. Most producers have had some form of engagement with satellite products previously, but because they're large geostationary satellites, you've got long latency. And now we've got these low earth orbit satellites coming into play where you've got much lower latency. So the time it takes from a signal to be sent from where you are up to the satellite and then back down again to where it needs to go. So that's something that's really changed, I think, pretty rapidly in the last five or so years. And the other ones are just around issues of interoperability, data interoperability between platforms and how we integrate that more seamlessly so it's a much easier process for producers and their consultants to engage in uh, as part of bringing those technologies to bear on farm. And from that perspective as well, some of the discussions in the workshops, we're really talking about this idea that ag tech companies and space tech companies as well, when they're coming into the market, need to identify who their target audience is and their user. And that often is not necessarily the producer, it's quite often their advisor. So being able to identify who you're actually targeting the technology to, and then what skills those individuals might need to build as part of that process to be able to utilize that technology and data and integrate it into their decision-making processes. Yeah. So maybe not so much as a scientist, as a consultant, but an agronomist with some extra skills might be the way to go. The report does put space technology into sort of three areas or three subjects, I suppose. Remote sensing, which I looked at as seeing what's out there, geolocation, seeing where it is, and connectivity, which you mentioned, telling people about it. Phil, where does SIBO Labs fit in there? Thanks for the opportunity. We're a basically a, an agricultural data science company that specialises in satellite remote sensing and all the things around that piece. Our major market at the moment is the extensive grazing industry. So typically the remote sensing in agricultural sort of setting has been focused on precision agriculture in the cropping sector with monocultures. And we're really addressing the other 50% of the country effectively or more under livestock grazing. So, yeah, we're focusing on, on a very different beast than the traditional cropping environment. And Tom, what about Myriad? Where do you fit in? Yeah, we're very much a connectivity solution, Chris. So we provide ultra-low cost connectivity for remote sensors and in-field devices to actually be able to talk back to the cloud, regardless of where they are without the use of towers or other terrestrial infrastructure. Tom, can you give us an idea or an example of how that might work in practical terms? A very common use case for our technology is a very simple application, actually, but it's, it's monitoring a water tank making sure that your livestock has access to fresh water daily, particularly in the dry, warm months of Australia is vitally important. 
And at the moment, the way that a lot of farmers do that is to manually go and check them in a land cruiser and drive out there and make sure that their livestock have access to water. What our technology enables a farmer to do is we have our customers, the ag tech solution providers, will take our connectivity solution and they'll integrate it into a tank monitor, whether that be a pressure sensor or a radar or a ultrasonic sensor. They'll put that on the tank. That tank sensor will then talk straight to one of our low earth orbit satellites. They're small satellites. They're about as big as a loaf of bread. The satellite will send that message back down to earth where we decode it and then we'll send it to the farmer through the cloud. So whether that's their phone or their computer. So ultra remote, low cost, low power sensing of a water tank rather than having to manually go and check it daily. And Phil, just coming back to you, what's the practical application of your product? So what we're really focusing on is how to improve grazing and land management decisions at a property or a paddock scale. So we've developed methods for estimating total sand dry matter and monitoring things like ground cover and pasture status at a paddock level and delivering on a weekly basis estimates of kilos of dry matter and ground cover to an individual paddock level to then support grazing management decisions around stocking rates, for example. So to estimate before um, a, a mob goes into a paddock how many kilos of dry matter and how many grazing days there might be. Or if you're in the north, looking at the end of the growing season and be able to estimate your seasonal stocking rates in terms of what, at the end of the growing season, what uh, your individual property as a whole will support in terms of carrying capacity. And then at an individual paddock level, how you then optimise your grazing rotations at a paddock level on a weekly to monthly basis. So the days of shaving a one square metre of grass and calculating it from there are gone. Is that what you're telling me, Phil? Well, not really. So yes, in the past, I suppose, in terms of forage budgeting, this was the term that we sort of use. Typically, the average producer is using a lot of experience on their property in terms of the current state of play, in terms of the season and what they've carried there in the past. Another group of producers might be using visual estimates, uh, using photo standards, for example, to estimate kilos of dry matter. Others might be doing pasture cuts and weighing and drying grass. So there's a a continuum there. But what we also have a challenge with is the variability in that uh, that pasture over a paddock. So typically you drive into a paddock and you look across the paddock and it looks pretty good, just like you drive into a wheat paddock and it looks pretty good across the paddock. It's not until you get up and above it using the satellite imaging that you start to see the gappiness and the variability in that paddock. And it's very, very difficult to really understand the true variability in those paddocks, particularly when they're quite large. So we're really using the satellite imagery to quantifiably explain that variability. But coming back to your point around groundwork, We hear a lot of words around remote sensing and machine learning and artificial intelligence. And what people forget is that we've actually got to drive those models using very high quality data. So a very large part of the SIBO Labs business is actually supporting ground data collection on a much larger scale than it's ever been done before. So we actually are collecting more data than people have traditionally collected, but doing it in a very efficient way to then to drive those predictive models. Marty, it seems to me that there's just so much going on in this space. There are just either so many products or potentially so many products out there that ordinary people, ordinary producers and ordinary agronomists may benefit from some of the technology, but they either don't know it exists or don't know where to go to get it. Is that a fair comment? Absolutely, Chris. So I think when we ran the workshops, so we had six workshops we ran over August and September last year. With those particular workshops, we did find that a lot of producers just really didn't have an idea of what opportunities were out there from the technology side, what products and services were available. 
And I think, again, that's something that the Research Development Corporation, so the RDCs like AgriFutures, are starting to grapple with at the moment. They're now setting up platforms, online opportunities, searchable databases, where you'll find companies like SIBO and, and like Miriota on there to be able to look at what kind of technologies there are, filter around telecommunications, and then you'll get a, a group of companies and services that will come up as part of that. So that's a great starting point. But I think the more that service providers and agronomists and those who are really the ones who are interacting with producers on a, on a sort of weekly or, or daily basis in some cases during harvest and, and sowing times, that the more they become aware of those opportunities, I think that's really going to accelerate the adoption of those technologies as well. Because once a lot of producers actually see what the opportunities are out there, the massive labour saving you can get from things like, as Tom had just said, from water sensing on tanks and troughs and you're not having to do water runs, which are quite time consuming and obviously cost a lot of staff time. And I think the real point there is that it's labour saving, taking labour away from really inefficient use of labour. So things that could be done a lot better, a lot more effectively. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's less work that people will be doing. It's just their time will be spent doing more important things. Remember when we used to talk about five-year plans? Five years, it just seems such a long time now in technology. So this is where I want to sort of open it up to you guys to talk to me about what's here now that farmers perhaps are not aware of and what's coming. Who wants to go first? I'll jump in there, Chris. Look, I think there's one thing to talk about the technology that's coming, but I think the other thing that we need to be conscious of is that the people who are making these solutions, so we're just the connectivity provider, it's the ag tech companies that are making the rain gauges or the weather stations or the soil moisture probes, etc. They're the ones that are actually taking the clever technology and making it usable for the farmers. So I think there's going to be a lot of refinement of the actual end solution because a farmer doesn't want to be an expert in satellite technology, whether that's communications technology or in earth observation technology. They actually want a solution at the end of the day. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of these ag tech companies who are actually really refining the product. So it's plug and play, easy to use, easy to maintain, and actually provides the data to the farmer in a way that's actually actionable. So they actually get real insights out of it. I think that's going to be the big thing we see in the next five years. And I think there's so much low-hanging fruit in the space that we are in, which is in the connectivity piece around water management, whether that be livestock water management, trough levels, flow metering, leak detection, soil moisture probes, and these types of applications, that there's going to be a real refinement in the industry. And there's a real appetite for farmers to adopt the solution, you know, not just the technology, but the solution. And I think that's what's going to be refined a lot over the next few years. You know, a great example of that, Tom, is I just uh, did a, a podcast on something that's happening in the, the rice industry at the moment, commercial trials, where technology is measuring soil moisture and telling farmers when they should open irrigation gates. And the technology is then doing that, opening the irrigation gates. That That's actually here and now. So that's, I think, a good example of what you're talking about there. Yeah, correct. And, you know, in the tank monitors, there's there's quite a few people now that are making satellite-connected tank monitors. The selling point, yes, it's got to be cost, and yes, it's got to be universal coverage, but a lot of the selling points is now it's four tech screws and you press a button and it just works. I mean, that's actually a big selling point for the farmer because farmers don't want to be technical experts. They want to do what they do best, and that is to manage livestock and grow crops. Exactly. Phil, how are you seeing the future shape out? I suppose probably a little bit differently in terms of Tom's explanation there. I mean, there's some no-brainer applications like water monitoring where 
exactly as Tom has described there. The technology works, trust it and, and get on with it. I think we've got to recognise there's also a lot of complexity in the landscape and a lot of decisions that are had that uh, that are obviously driven through on-ground knowledge and also, I suppose, to balance the expectations around the silver bullet solution, which very rarely even exists, and where the producer is right now in terms of the way they're making their management decisions. And there's a continuum. There's a continuum there. So certainly the way we're delivering our services, we've actually had a lot of organisations in the past have promised silver bullets and they've failed. So your default position for a lot of producers actually is a position of mistrust in technology and you've got to gain that trust and you only gain that trust through getting them very engaged in the process. So we've got to recognise that there has been a lot of overpromises in the past. And so a lot of the work that we do is basically getting producers engaged in the process getting them to understand the potential benefits and also, just as importantly, the limitations of the technology, getting them engaged in the data collection that goes on in terms of ensuring that the data actually is providing reliable information on their property and giving them tools to make that very, very easy. So there is a continuum and, yes, there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle. Yeah, I can see what you're pointing at there, Phil. A farmer needs to know how they can integrate the technology into what they're doing now and make it more efficient. Exactly, uh, yes. Yeah. Marty, Tom mentioned earlier his satellites are about the size of a loaf of bread, which just blew my mind. One of the next big things to happen in Australia is satellite-based augmentation system, which is going to be happening in 2025. What is it and what's it going to do? It's basically going to get us to a situation where across the continent and the fisheries zones around it as well, it's actually going to massively increase the accuracy of GPS solutions in those areas. So at the moment, we can get GPS accuracy down to about a metre across those different areas, which depending on the, the application you've got might be useful. As we start to move to more and more precise applications around precision animal management and as well those producers who are in cropping areas that don't have that same level of of accuracy that you get from having mobile connectivity in combination with the GSN and technologies will be in a position once the SBAS system is up and running that it'll improve the accuracy of those GPS systems, real-time accuracy currently from a metre down to about 10 centimetres. So once you're getting to that point, it's really opening up a lot of opportunities around the precision management space, which has previously only been available really to those, particularly in the cropping and horticultural areas where you've got RTK type technologies that are down to two centimetres when you're doing things like auto steer and those kind of applications. So I think that's really going to open the door for a lot more robotic and automation activities out in areas that previously it hasn't really been an option because you haven't had that precision around geolocation, which is really important when you're trying to move technologies and platforms, be they drones or land-based technologies in those areas to be able to navigate and move around. You really need that high level of accuracy and precision to be able to, to move those devices around. And the other ones that are interesting, particularly from a livestock point of view, we're moving to this point where we've now got a lot of ear tags and collars on the market that are being able to do different things from a, a livestock management point of view. If we're talking about virtual fencing, and other technologies where you're combining animal behaviour and movement with a lot of the stuff that Phil's talking about with remote sensing of pastures to actually see how animals are utilising the pastures and being able to better predict how an animal will use a paddock and if you need to put in more fencing or in this case potentially virtual fencing to make them utilise pastures more efficiently and to be able to move them around or if you 
put in more watering points to be able to move the animals around in a paddock in a more cost-effective way to make sure they're increasing the pasture utilisation, not overgrazing certain areas in, in these large paddocks that you have out in the rangelands where you're talking sort of square kilometres and tens of square kilometres per paddock. Putting infrastructure in those is quite expensive. So SBAS could really go a long way to providing some new solutions to increase productivity out in, the, in those areas. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it's going to be a, a game changer. Phil, just with the livestock stuff, here's a question from real left field because I used to run Dorper sheep and we all know we love getting Dorper sheep into the yard and weighing them. Is, is there any, <laughs> any possibility that some combination of all these technologies could not so much weigh a sheep in the paddock but estimate a sheep's weight in the paddock? Yeah, there certainly is. It's interesting. I had a fellow one day tell me that the only way, if you can throw a bucket of water through a fence, you won't be able to keep a dorper in it. You can if it's a brick fence. (laughs) Uh, Look, yeah, certainly there's a whole range of biometric technologies under development around uh, effectively 3D imaging of animals to estimate animal score, those sorts of things. Yes, I think that is under development. Well, that's good to hear. A bit late for me, though. Martin, just to finish off, and let's get back to the report, what are the key messages for farmers and their advisors, the agronomists, coming out of the report from your point of view? I think the big ones are the ones, I guess, that Tom really touched on as well around the fact that you're going to need a mix of solutions. Part of it's around the mix of technologies to solve the problem. You're not going to necessarily have a silver bullet to solve that. It's going to be a network of a system of solutions. And the other one as well is the enabling technologies, how we actually get the most benefit out of connecting these technologies. So I think the most exciting stuff moving forward is really how those technologies can be combined to really start solving those big issues that we haven't been able to sort of, we've been grappling with for 10 to 20 years and now we're at a point where the technology is is getting close to where it needs to be, but we need people to start addressing these interoperability issues between different platforms if we're going to be start driving those solutions forward. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Phil, yeah. do you have any final uh, quick words? Oh, look, look absolutely. I agree with what uh, Marty's saying. I suppose um, what I probably would add here is just a couple of things. You know, we've got to recognise that it's very rare that one technology or one software or one business solution is unlikely to really meet all your requirements. So it's really up to the organise the businesses to basically to collaborate. So we're spending a lot of time recognising, working with our strengths and recognising that basically that we need to team up with other companies to deliver those solutions to make that end point to the producer actually as easy as possible. It might be through a single app or a couple of apps, but that needs to be back-ended by interoperability where these individual business solutions are talking to each other. Tom, do you have any final words in Oh, look, I think I agree with what Marty and Phil have been saying. If I was going to add anything, I'd probably say for the farmers and the growers that are listening, there's actually technology out there. But I think if they approach it from the fact that if they really identify what the problem is they're trying to solve, there's every chance that there's now technology that can help them solve that. So rather than looking at smart, shiny new technology and then looking for a place to fit it on their own property, I think if they really identify what the problems they have on their property or properties, then highly likely there's a solution out there that can actually provide them with some benefits. So I think as we get more and more farmers adopting these type of technologies, it's it's going to snowball and we're definitely seeing lots of farmers out there now getting benefits from this now. Going back to what we said before about integrating it into an existing framework there. Yeah. Thanks to you all for your insights into where we are heading with satellite technology in all its forms. 
applications on farm have come a long way in such a short time and from what you say the next couple of years will be crucial to bringing it all together and making it all more useful and usable on farm. That report, which we've been talking about, is called Space-Based Technologies, Opportunities for the Rural Sector, and it's available in PDF form on the AgriFutures Australia website. My guests today were Marty Amity from the Centre for Entrepreneurial Agri-Technology at ANU, Tom Rayner representing Miriota, a satellite communications company, and Phil Tickle, who heads up SIBO Labs, an agricultural data analytics company. Thanks for listening to AgriFutures On Air. My name is Chris Brown. You've been listening to AgriFutures On Air, a weekly podcast brought to you by AgriFutures Australia.